I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Thank you, Mr. Talia. Let's go. We're going to do another one of these, uh, what do we call them, uh, icons or frauds. Icons or frauds. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could be both. Uh, well, I, I guess some people have been some, both, have Some they? have been yeah. both, yeah. Uh, we've done some names in the past, uh, Jack Hamilton, Ron Walker, Carla Zampetti, Don Lane, uh, uh, all these people. Um Wow. Neville ran, we did touch on a little bit. Yes, we did, yeah. But uh, let's start with him, I guess. Uh, Neville ran Premier of New South Wales. Well, he had an an unusual existence because he he said he he was very popular Premier when he got got elected. I was living overseas when he he got elected and... uh, but I came back as editor of the, of the paper, Sydney Sun. Um, he had some narrow sc- scrapes with the law. There was a there was an investigation into the the rugby league into a, a guy called Humphreys, uh, and he was sort of linked to that. He was they've tried to link him to the um, ABC and the Luna Park fire that he had knowledge of that. You know, it's very easy to say when somebody's dead, but um, so some of it I don't know. I, look, I think he was a, a progressive premier. He probably wasn't as um, as clean as you might like to think, you know, at times. Uh, I remember a funny one with, with, with Ran. When, when he finally um, he finally got married to Jill. And, uh, had, he, had he been married before? Yes, he had. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and he had, uh, he had children uh, from a previous marriage. Um, one of his daughters actually went on a date with Prince Charles, from memory. Um, anyway, and she was invited to Prince Charles's wedding, so there must have uh, been some Charles connection. Charles invited all the exes. But I remember when uh, <laughs> two two quick stories. One was one was about Jill Rand. When he married Jill, he did it in secret, and he gave it to the Daily Mirror and got a picture and the thing. My opposition, and he sent me a note saying, "You deserve that," <laughs> Be- because because some months earlier. There's an unspoken rule that um, Neville Ram was going out with this very pretty woman called Jill, who was um, worked for Qantas, and uh, nobody touched it. No newspapers ran the story. And one morning, I get to the office, and a picture comes in from the night before, and it's a picture of four people uh, at an opera house opening or something, and two of the four are Jill, a Jill, and Neville. Right, and I will concede this now. We chopped the other two people out of the photo, <laughs> put it on page three with the headline "A Premier Engagement?" Question <laughs> mark. And so, and he didn't like that. Didn't like it. So when he got married, he just sent me a note saying, "You deserve that." You know? So, but I, I did mention once before the he had that. Distinctive voice, you know, terrible. Really. And uh, I actually wrote to him because when he had polyps on his vocal cords, which I had had before that, so I was a bit of an expert on what to do and what not to do. And I decided not to have the operation because they don't always work. Uh, you end up with a palsied vocal cord, so that means you get raspiness. Um, even when you whisper, your vocal cords slam together and that can be bad for you. You think you're whispering, you're going to mm. make it better. Um, so I, I just had to sh- shut up for two weeks. I didn't speak. I was not allowed to speak and just 
as I said before, like a woodcutter gets the calluses off his hand by stop using an axe. By not talking, your vocal cords come back because these are like little growth polyps on your cords. Um, it probably changed my voice a bit forever, but I noticed that Neville, long, not long after the operation, it was a federal election was on, and he was he was a I think he was a federal president of the ALP at the time, and he went down to uh, Tasmania, and you could tell his voice was tortured, and straining. I wrote to him and said, you know, be careful. It never came back. I mean, he sounded hoarse for the rest of his life. You know. Well, in politics, in radio, in media, the voice is your tool, you know. That's like, right. If you don't have it, it's... Uh, yeah. I've actually lost... I was at a wedding, Darren. I was best man at a wedding, and I lost my voice. <laughs> it was terrible, because people come up and want to talk to you, yeah. and I'd open my mouth and nothing would come out. Just, <laughs> just, just, just air would come yeah. out. It's, uh, well, I was lucky when I was during my two-week forced silence. That was the first time I beat Bert Newton in the ratings, <laughs> and I couldn't speak. But somebody, somebody had sent me this whiz bang Dick Tracy watch, right? And I could type words, and this paper would come out the side of my watch. <laughs> right. And I could type, and I type, piss off, like a know, little dog. Shut up, <laughs> go away. And and and, ironically, I remember, I remember the night I won the ratings. Uh, I was single and I ended up bumping into a very pretty lady and uh, we got on very well and I was quite pleased because my battery got run out of my talking watch so I had to do all my wooing on a piece of paper. <laughs> I had to s scribble notes down to her. I wasn't allowed to speak. And uh, <laughs> By the way. The only, I said one word in two weeks. I said, Jesus... I was going to say Jesus Christ when the handle fell off a plate of off a off a fry pan full of scrambled eggs, and uh, I so I spoke one word at the time. That was all, but it worked. It worked. By the way, talking about pretty ladies, uh, David Mann came into the newsroom the other day with a book. Someone's given him a book of all the photographs with David Mann with all these different sorts of people. There was a photograph of David Mann, young David Mann, with you, very young you. And a pretty lady uh, in the middle of both of you, and I sent it to you, and we put it on Twitter to try and identify who that lady was. Um, did you find out? And we found her. Her name, her last name was, I can't remember her first name, I've been Lucy. I know her last name was DeBoer, B-O-E-R, and she'd been to Miami High School in, 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 in Queensland, uh, and she had been a metre maid. So we think that she's probably down in Melbourne, because George Patterson's was fairly near us, and they did some advertising work for the Gold Coast and meter maids. Remember, meter maids would go and put money in your meter to, as a goodwill oh, oh, gesture. On the Gold Coast, they would yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. So obviously you came down here to, to just to publicise what a great place the Gold Coast was. And so for some reason, I don't know why, but there's David Mann and me and her. But you don't remember the photograph no, being don't. taken or no, where I it do. was or I what do the circumstances oh, were. But what that then triggered, thanks very much, triggered somebody else to say, oh, I like this photo better and publish a picture from Playboy <laughs> magazine of me half naked in bed with a model called, a playmate called Alison Best. Yes, well, there's one of her breasts is showing. Yes, and yes. you're reading... Uh, the Age the newspaper. Age, very, very determined to read the Age And the bed newspaper. is covered in newspapers. I actually, after that picture appeared in Playboy, it was to illustrate, I had not long been in Melbourne, it was to how to have the ultimate dirty weekend. And I was broke and they paid me quite a bit of money, a few hundred dollars, to, for a fee for writing an article. They flew me to Sydney. We stayed, I stayed and a girlfriend came and stayed at the uh, Hilton. 
and flew me home and I wrote an article and got paid for it. But they didn't use the girlfriend in the photograph. No, they didn't. They used No, they didn't because she was quite well known. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, ironically, um, two quick things. One was that that photograph of me reading the, the age, all the newspapers around me, I sent it off to Ron Walker, who was the chairman of the Fairfax at the time, and said, see... Nothing detracts Hinch from reading The Age because you know, here she is topless in bed. Um, so, But the funny thing was I wrote the article and I didn't want to use the name of the woman I was seeing because she was quite well known from TV. And so you don't I, want to reveal it now? Um, Rowena Wallace. Uh. Anyway, I um, uh, so I, I called the, the, the girl Alison not knowing that there was Alison Best. I didn't know who the name of the model, but I called her Alison for some reason. And when the story came out, months and months and months later in Playboy, I was going out with Annette Allison, <laughs> and everybody assumed that the Allison in the story was Annette, and it wasn't. It wasn't always months before I even met Annette or started going out together. Now, if I remember <laughs> rightly, the model, uh, um, she passed away. You know, I'm not sure anymore. I... I had heard on fairly good authority that she had passed away quite early. I knew that she was the sister of Peter Best, the uh, movie director. But then somebody said, no, uh, Alison moved to Adelaide and, and, and it was all right. So I do not know the truth. I don't know the answer. But I do know that she was she was a very pretty young model in those days. Yeah. I can tell you now while we're on this grubby subject, it's the first time I've ever seen, walked into my, I, I, they put us a huge suite at the, at the Hilton Hotel, right? And I walk in to introduce myself to the model who's going to be in bed. We had our underwear on, of course. Uh, anyway, and she's sitting at the makeup mirror with a makeup artist diligently rouging her nipples. <laughs> and I've just walked in to say hello, and I have to stop for a minute while, while this little <laughs> tactic is going on. <laughs> um, let's go back to icons and frauds. Right. Uh, uh, Senator Lionel Murphy, High Court Judge. <sighs> What are you going to do for my little mate? What do you know about what I, I He should have gone to jail. He, this uh, is a man who was on the High Court of Australia. Yeah, he was a former Attorney General. He became a High Court judge. He, uh, The guy's name, the little legal crook in Sydney's name was Morgan Ryan, I think, from Ed's going back, going was back a long guy, time. Murray Farquhar was Murray, Murray Farquhar was the, was the magistrate, who he did go to jail. Uh, Lionel Murphy... What do you remember? But what I remember is that Lionel Murphy, um, Ryan was involved in shonky immigration deals and stuff, and he was about to go to jail. And Lionel Murphy, a High Court judge, reportedly, well, it came out in court, uh, said to Murray Farquhar, SM, now, what are you going to do for, about my little mate? There were phone taps. Yes. He was yeah, and the age, the age newspaper ran the phone taps. They, hid, they, they were hidden for a long time and the police didn't prosecute at first until after the age ran these explosive phone taps of Lionel Murphy behaving in a very un-high court manner, very unjudgely, judgy manner. Um, he got charged and he got convicted and then it was overturned on appeal and he wasn't charged again. And then shortly after he died. Yes, and, and he was, and because he, he was he, he was ill with cancer as well, I think that also, that also, going back to what we were talking before, 
his relationship with Neville Ran was raised and his illness was raised and da da da. But um, Ryan was a, was a very dodgy character, and and we didn't know that, that Murray Farquhar was on the take. That you know, coppers knew which judge, which magistrate they should appear before if they wanted to get the right result. Did you ever meet um, Lionel Murphy? Yes, I did, and, um, and uh, I can't recall the circumstances. I, I, actually, I do. I think I had dinner once with with Lionel Murphy. And ran and somebody, some other, other politician at, at somebody's house once, but I, I didn't, I didn't know him very well. It's just all from what we. How, how does that just come about? Do they invite you? Does yeah, I was just invited. Well, obviously, I, I can't remember whose house it was. The person who was inviting them was obviously a friend of mine, and said, "Look, I'm having so and so for dinner. Would you like to come?" I said, "Sure." Right. And, and have you ever been in a situation where where you've had a go at these people, or you've uh, you've said something bad, and and it's an awkward sort of where you? Oh, that that ha- that has happened, yeah, but not at dinner. I mean, I'd I'd would clear the way and say, listen, I don't they'd want me at the table, you know. So you clear it. My best one, I may have missed this once before. There's a group in Melbourne called Club Thirteen, and there were twelve well-known businessmen, the boss of Channel Ten and other people, and. And uh, Billy Snedden, who was then the Speaker of the, of the House at those days. Um, and they was called Club 3D because 12 of them would have l- a dinner at a very expensive restaurant once every three or four months. And the 13th member of the club was an invited guest. And I get invited to come along there because uh, the then boss of the Melbourne Football Club um, invited me. And I was a guest speaker. And the rules are that for about an hour... They ask while you're having this beautiful dinner. They ask you any questions you like. They like, and then at the end of it, you, the speaker, is allowed to ask each of them one question. Uh, and one of them was a, a wealthy man called Norm Field. I remember this night. I said to him, "Why are you hung up on my, hung up on my girlfriend? Why do you keep phoning her?" <laughs> so <laughs> he looked a bit embarrassed. But then I get to Billy Snedden. And this is years, decades before I become a politician, right? And I said, why is it almost a prerequisite for a politician to tell lies? And Billy got all very huffy-puffy and said, I have never told a lie in my political career. Right? And I said, you just told another one. <laughs> <laughs> With that, he got up. And stormed out, and, oh, the, and dinner out. was over. Yeah, you just walked out, and they said, "I think the dinner's over." So, <laughs> yeah, you just told another one. Uh, there you go. Um, let's go to uh, a, a singer. A move away from politics. Mm-hmm. Someone. Well, when I was a kid on that banana plantation, I remember going to a record shop and buying uh, a record uh, with this guy dressed in a very trendy sort of suit and a car. Blonde hair, John Farnham. Uh, Sadie the Cleaning Lady was the song. And a Friday kind of Monday was on the other side of the oh track. God, Sadie the Cleaning Lady. Years later, he actually would still he would sing it just for a bit of a gag. You know. he, look, Farnham has, has been a friend of mine. We're not as close now, but we've been friends for, for many, many years. He was a friend um, of Jackie Weaver's before me, uh, before long before we were, Jackie and I were married. Um, Farnham and Jill were having trouble trying to have a baby. They finally succeeded, uh, but 
they, they tried IVF racing off to the doctor and stuff, but they sort of adopted Dylan, Jackie's son, a little when he was very tiny, and he'd go and stay with Jill and John for days, you know, and, and they kidnapped him almost. I remember one day she told me the story how he walked out of the, from the living room where he'd been watching television and he walked into the kitchen and he said to Jackie, he said, Mum? She said, yeah. He said, you know my mate John? She said, yeah. He said, he can sing. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea, no idea. Anyway, um, Farnham and I became very good friends and uh, I enjoyed his company and uh, I remember we went, Went to his big birthday at Scase's place up in uh, Queensland once, his 40th or 50th, whatever it was. And uh, for some reason or other, I ended up on a boat with Barry Humphreys and, um, and uh, can't remember, um, oh, uh, Ernie Sigley's offside, Denise Drysdale, right? We're on a boat. And they didn't, but I went paragliding, right? Where you go up, you, they put you in a harness, and then the boat takes off, and you your parachute takes you 200 feet up in the sky and suddenly you're up there just floating around behind a boat which is barreling along. And at one stage, it was the morning after John's party and the boat, we saw John and Jill standing on the, uh, on, on the beach and he's got a glass of champagne in his hand and the boat driver swung into, into the, into the, through the surf to the, right to the beach and as he slowed, my parachute dropped, right? And because you come down fairly fast and as we went past Farnham on the beach, I took his champagne glass <laughs> out of his hand. <laughs> you were, it was like the perfect baton change. And went, like shoom. some scene from James Bond. Yeah, and suddenly, shoo, and then he's accelerated. And boom, I'm, I'm, I'm 100 feet up in the sky again with a glass of champagne. You know. He's got quite a, um, a distinctive, amazing voice. It's, uh, it was. I, you know, I, he, he used to, we used to argue he, re- he, he wouldn't give up smoking because he said it would affect his voice. In I the didn't end, he, know he was a smoker. Oh, heavy, smoker. heavy. Uh, in the end, he did give up when his son said, said I, I don't want you to die, Daddy. Um, but look, Farnham had the best on-stage presence. You'd see him, he'd work the audience, he'd, he'd walk along touching the hands of hundreds, and, and people of all ages. You know, there, were, there were young women and middle-aged women and elderly women, you know, and uh, he's had hits in, in umpteen decades. Uh, I, I love some of his work, you know what I mean? I mean, hell, Jackie Weaver and I appeared in one of his biggest songs, a video for You're the Voice, you know. We played a couple having an argument and uh, she throws a plate of food at me. And in this, if you've ever seen the video of You're the Voice, there's this beautiful little nine or ten-year-old girl sitting here looking very crestfallen while her mum and dad are having a screaming fighting match and throwing things at each other. And I tried for years to find out, wonder who she was, where did she come from, whatever. And a few years ago while I was campaigning for the Senate, I was in Geelong at a function, outdoor function, and a woman walked up to me and said, um, you don't remember me, do you? I said, what? She said, I'm your daughter, <laughs> which stops you in your tracks on a Sunday, I can tell you. And she said, I'm your daughter. I said, what? And she said, yeah, I, I played your daughter in You're the Voice. And she introduced me to her husband and her kids. And well, it was just go. so sweet. Right. You know, it, was, uh, it, was, it was just lovely. And, so, and she's now, by then, she's probably in her 40s, and uh, and lives about seven k's from me. Oh, really? Yeah. So we, she was they were down. She the family were down in Geelong for this uh, for a big charity function. So John Farnham always was connected with Glenn Wheatley. Glenn yeah. Wheatley being his uh, his manager. His manager. Glenn yeah. Well, well, when I mean they were so close, 
but people, what people don't know, I mean, Glenn had his troubles with the law in the end and went to jail. But when Whispering Jack was in the, in the, in the, in the offing, the big album, big hit, uh, Wheatley mortgaged his house and put money into that. You know, so he he was a, he was a great supporter of John's, and and Glenn told me on several t- times before John went on stage, he would throw up. Not John, the manager. Wheatley would actually vomit <laughs> before his, his man went. Well, on Wheatley stage. himself was a guitarist. He, I think yeah, it was um, um, something he put, Masters Apprentices. Masters Apprentices. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, he was a guitar player. Which wasn't another. Your your mate Daryl Cotton was another one yes, of those uh, who I think was so. in the Masters yeah. Apprentices. You know, when Daryl Daryl Cotton, funny, mentioned his name, he was so brave. He died so young. Um, he called. I, I knew him and his wife because they have property up at Mount Macedon, close to mine. And okay, we weren't friends. But occasionally, I might go and play tennis with some of their friends at their place or at my place. And uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer, it was after me. And he called me. He said, "Darren, talk me through it. How do I handle this?" I mean, he was so brave. You know, he was, and, and he went very quickly as well. Um, and they had a beautiful ceremony for him. Uh, at the Comedy Theatre, uh, which because of Daryl, uh, I guess um, that's where I want to go. When I cark it, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist, so I, I'd like to have my funeral at the Comedy Theatre. Mm. Um, I went to one... You don't think you'll get a state funeral? I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Um, um, you have a state funeral at the Comedy Theatre. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I remember once being at, being at a function there and at, at, at a memorial service. It was so moving. It was um, from Les Mis, and the and I've, I've had a memory loss here. The guy was the who's the star of Les Mis, a New Zealand singer, um, and he died. His wife was the conductor of the of the of the orchestra, and there and his name will come to me. Um, and they had a um, memorial service for him, and this was at the comedy, at the Regent, I think, and. The beauty of it was suddenly halfway through the service with his widow conducting, people from all around me started standing up and walking down the aisle and walked down the aisle with their backs to us and got up on stage and then all turned around and started singing, can you, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of it? It was just... It brought tears to your eyes. A stirring song too, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The, the, the blood of the martyrs will colour the meadows of France. Yeah. Beautiful Gives word. me goosebumps even Beautiful now. Word. Yeah. Uh, what's John Farnham doing now? Do you well, have he's, he's still... the last time you spoke to him? I haven't spoken to him for, for some months, actually. I'd, I heard that he had... Um, he he, he got, went crazy on quarter horses and horseback riding and did all that. Um they keep saying he's going to do it. I saw him about a year ago in, 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 in Canberra, uh, here in Glen. Um, but he, he's sort of semi-retired, but he keeps coming back and doing stuff. Well, you know, you know, he, the voice he, is still there. Yeah, well, it was Tony Bennett is into his oh, 90s. He's uh, 90. Yeah. With, with the Tony Bennett album with Lady Gaga, and he's 95. Yeah. It's amazing. So if you can still do it... Yeah, why not? Why yeah. wouldn't you keep doing yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Funny, I'll, I'll give you a Tony Bennett story. Uh, one year, not too long ago, um, Jackie Weaver was invited to the Logies. This is long after we'd been apart. And she invited me as her partner, so as a handbag. So Jackie and I are at the Logies, and we're up in the VIP room before it starts. 
And then we like, usher you downstairs onto the red carpet to walk in. And as we did it, coincidentally, standing next to me was Tony Bennett, right? One of the greatest singers of all time. And Jackie and I and Tony were walking in on the red carpet at around the time of the One Direction were a big deal in Australia. And all these One Direction fans were all there screaming, waiting for One Direction to turn up. And Tony Bennett walked into the Logies without any recognition. And I remember saying to Jackie, can you believe that? One of the greatest talents in history. And he's proven it again this year with this, this appearance at Radio City Music Hall. And, uh, and it was terrific. You know. I'll, I'll tell you a Farnham story, which I'll, I'll have to clean up. Um, Jackie Weaver didn't tell anybody she was going out with me when we first started dating. And she came up with a nickname that her boyfriend's name was Joe Hunch. <laughs> she got me Joe Hunch. Ironically, years later, Visard, without knowing it, calls my character Hunch on television. Anyway, she got with Joe Hunch. She's on the phone to her dear friend, Jill. And Jill said, we haven't seen much of you. John reckons you must have a new boyfriend. Who is it? And she said, I, I, I do have, but I'm not going to tell you. So she puts John on, she says, John will get it out of you. So she puts John Farnham on and, and he says, who is it? Come on, tell me who it is. And Jackie says, I'm not going to tell you because I'm. I don't feel. I don't know if you'll like him. And he says, Jack, Jack. He says, oh, oh, Jack, Jack. The voice of his. He says, I'll, anybody you like. I like anybody. And she said, Well, it's Darren Hinch. He said, That's C. <laughs> <laughs> then, but then he invited us around to their house, and we did go around and meet up his mum and Jill and whatever. But then years later, I've got a surprise. Uh, 40th birthday party at the Seaboard Townhouse in Sydney. And Farnham got up to sing Happy Birthday for me. Um, but he then told the story. He said, uh, when Jackie Wheeler first told me, when I first learned that she'd go out with Darren Hench with this guy, I said, bleep, bleep, right? He's, you know, and all these years later, you know what? I still think he's a bleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, when... when when he was a um, big star and weekly organised this with Christopher Scase, he appeared briefly in Home and Away, right? In exchange for that, Scase gave him and Wheatley two, town, two townhouses at Port Douglas. That was the fee. As, as their owner. The, Own. They owned them. Yeah, they, he gave them to them to keep. Well... <laughs> Wow! Yeah, they, a, they both they both got a they both got one of these beautiful townhouses, uh, batches or well, batches wrong word for it townhouses where they were yeah, there. yeah. Wow, at, a, at Mirage at uh, Port Douglas that's, that's extraordinary <laughs> well they've they've led extraordinary lives I mean uh, Glenn Wheatley um, married to Gaynor Martin yes one of the most gorgeous she, and she was a great star on television too you know she was she was uh, I, I sort of followed her closely because um, she was a swim teacher. In Greensboro, of all places, Good when Lord. she was young, you know, 18, 19, mm. 20. But she had the most beautiful complexion, mm. beautiful face, uh, blonde hair. The smile would knock you out. Uh, I mean, I think he's betting way above his average, really, Glenn Wheatley with, uh, with, with Gaynor. But she stuck by him, you know, mm. through jail or whatever. Mm. Uh, I remember the day he was released from jail. Oh, mate, it was a bit like the uh, O.J. Simpson yeah, thing. The with cameras. The ha cameras uh, and helicopters following him down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, do you see them at all? Uh, uh, occasionally, not, not often. Um, I do know one story when um, he told me he was, 
He was about to be released from jail early, he thought, on parole, you know, under house arrest, uh, home detention. And uh, his lawyer, he was sitting in in prison waiting to hear the result. The lawyer goes into, into court, the appellate court, the appeal court, and one of the judges says, um, I think it may have been Robert Redlick, I could be wrong, but it was somebody, a high-profile high lawyer. And the judge said, you realise, sir, that, um, I don't have to tell you this, but at an appeal, appeal hearing, appellate hearing, we can increase the sentence as well as decrease it. And uh, his lawyer thought, he's telling me something here. And so the lawyer um, went out, sought an adjournment, went back and, and phoned Glenn in jail and said, I think we should drop the appeal. And Glenn says, why? He said, well, I've been around courts a long time and I think I just got a message that uh, you, you may be in the slammer longer than you think. So they dropped it and eventually he was released on, on the home detention. I, I don't have a memory of exactly what he was convicted of. Do you, do it, was you know? over the, it was the tax issues over the uh, money from abroad. It's too complex. It was a, the, the government grabbed a guy and got his laptop government investigators, and there was, on it, was all sorts of information about tax deals that had been done by, you know, phony invoices and overseas deals and money coming oh, in and money going out. defrauding the tax department. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And, Which uh, Paul Hogan was involved Yes, it was. In I, I, I've forgotten, there was a famous inquiry, I think it started with a W, I've forgotten it anyway, but they, they, they grabbed the, one of the guys, one of the guys who worked for the, the legal firm whatever, in Switzerland, and they got his laptop and had all the stuff about all these people who were, had been setting up um, not quite right Tax deals, you know, getting re- getting getting uh, getting tax reductions for for money that wasn't really spent, etc. Well, there you go, uh, <laughs> Mr. Hinchy. You've done it again with some fascinating stories about some very well-known. <laughs> well, I didn't think I was going to tell the Rowena Wallace story or the John Farnham story, but there we go. We've got you a never long know. list of names still to go through, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So you keep listening to uh, to the podcast uh, and uh, give us some feedback too, if uh, if if you yeah, can. that'd be nice. Uh, yeah, I like that.